Sometimes when one door closes, another opens. One that will fit 75,000 people through. Welcome to American Esoterica. If history class gives you the cup of tea, this is the three lumps of sugar, the essential stuff in between, the personalities, events, and other ephemera that shape our history and culture. I'm Brian Powers. Marian Anderson was an African-American contralto, one of the most talented singers of her time. If she had been born decades later, she might have been a household name from the outset but the prevailing racism of the day prevented her from gaining a true foothold on fame. Until the day when one more door slammed in her face by segregation created an opening wide enough to drive a national monument through. Marian Anderson's talent and voice were celebrated far and wide, even landing her at Carnegie Hall in 1928. After touring historically black college campuses throughout the South, she made her European debut in 1930. It was a smash, and she toured the continent four times in the next 10 years. She also toured South America and received scholarships to study abroad that resulted in her performing for royalty in Sweden, Denmark, and Norway. In 1935, her New York City recital at Town Hall was a rousing success, and even in a segregated nation, she was slowly building her fame. She began performing annual concerts in the nation's capital as fundraisers for the music department of Howard University, a historically black university, in 1936. By 1939, however, her audiences had outgrown the available venues in Washington, D.C. There were several large venues, but they were restricted to white performers. For at least the second time, they approached the Daughters of the American Revolution, or DAR, who were the caretakers of Constitution Hall near the Washington Monument. It was the largest auditorium in the Capitol, seating 4,000 people. And just like they had been before, they were turned away by the organization which refused to rent their space for a black performer. Constitution Hall was segregated and no exception would be made. Howard University next turned their attention to the auditorium of DC's Central High School, the city's largest white school. They sought permission from the school board, which was reluctant to give a flat rejection, but who instead put enough restrictions on the event and the usage of the venue as to render it effectively useless. Howard University rejected the offer that had been tailored to be rejected. But now they were stuck. Marian Anderson was booked and tickets were selling. They needed a venue and they needed one quickly. That's when they formed the Marian Anderson's Citizens Committee and mounted a public relations campaign to bring attention to the situation. They leveraged every tool in their arsenal and soon the press, celebrities, and politicians were weighing in against the DAR. The Daughters of the American Revolution, however, would not be moved and this attracted the attention of a real power broker. At first, First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt kept her distance from the DAR controversy. She decided instead to lead by example, agreeing to present Marian Anderson with a medal at the upcoming NAACP convention. 
She also went a step further and invited Anderson to sing at the White House later on that year in front of the English royal family. Marian Anderson had gone from a performer without a place to perform in Washington, D.C. to an invitation for a command performance in the most powerful venue in the nation before both the President and First Lady and the King and Queen of England. But even that invitation is not the grand pinnacle of this historic moment. Roosevelt became increasingly frustrated with the situation. Marian Anderson deserved a public venue. The First Lady boldly vented her frustration publicly by submitting her resignation to the president of the DAR and writing a telegram of sympathy to the concert organizers. She broadcast her decision in a column she wrote for newspapers across the nation. The public break of the First Lady with the DAR was the opportunity Interior Secretary Harold Ix had been waiting for. He was both past president of the Chicago NAACP and close with the First Lady, and together they hatched a grand scheme. With the assent of President Roosevelt, they plotted to give Marian Anderson something over which Ix had oversight as Secretary of the Interior, the most spectacular venue possible. And did they ever! On the afternoon of April 9, 1939, Easter Sunday, Marian Anderson sang from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial to a crowd of 75,000 people. Secretary Ix introduced her to the crowd, declaring, Genius knows no color line. She began by singing, America, my country tis of thee, altering the words slightly from of thee I sing to to thee we sing. Those in attendance were a diverse mix of black and white, rich and poor, men and women, young and old. Dignitaries and politicians showed up by the score. Supreme Court Justice Hugo Black attended with his wife, which is as much of a mark of personal growth as one could expect from someone who had been an official member of the KKK just 13 years earlier. Hundreds of thousands more listened along on the radio. In denying her a stage, the DAR amplified Marian Anderson's voice a thousandfold. In the weeks, months, and years that followed, Marian Anderson's fame grew alongside the recognition of her cultural importance. She accepted First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt's invitation to perform at the White House, but that proved only the beginning of her ascent. So profound was her influence that she was able to put it to use, and in 1950, she started refusing to perform in venues where the audience was still segregated. She debuted as the first black singer as a regular company member with the New York Metropolitan Opera in 1955. Eisenhower appointed her as a delegate to the United Nations Human Rights Committee in 1956 after she toured as a goodwill ambassador for the U.S. State Department. She was the first African-American to perform at an inauguration when she sang the national anthem for that of President Eisenhower's second term in 1957 and for President Kennedy's in 1961. President Johnson awarded her the Medal of Freedom in 1963, and President Reagan honored her in 1986 with the National Medal of Arts. Of all those accolades and prestigious performances, one in particular may be the most illustrative 
of Marian Anderson's powerful influence. In 1943, the Daughters of the American Revolution themselves asked her to perform at Constitution Hall. She agreed to do so on the condition that the audience would not be segregated. This time, the DAR agreed. And sitting within the nearly equally racially proportioned audience that night were Eleanor Roosevelt and two Supreme Court justices. Such was the power of Marian Anderson's voice that it didn't just carry a tune. At times, it carried a nation. This has been American Esoterica. All sounds were made by me, Brian Powers. Did I get it wrong? Did I get it right? Just want to talk about Eleanor Roosevelt as much as I do? Drop me a note. The address is yell at AmericanEsoterica.com. Thank you for listening, and God bless America. Thank you.